Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. everyone and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Mark, sir, it's good to be back. It's good to see you. It is good to be back and what a movie to talk about this week. I'm actually thrilled that I get a break from life because I was up in Seattle and the shows were great. Crowds were awesome and I got a lot of people coming up to me after the show saying that they love listening to our program, which was nice. So now, Jack, when I get back into L.A. and I'm in the throes of two things, one, I'm doing the taxes for my company and the other one Mm -hmm. is I'm driving Molly the Wonder Dog around to every paw specialist in Southern California, I making know. sure that we get her wing healed. I think we're on the I think we're on the, the path to recovery, but this is gonna be a great break for what I have been dealing with the last month. Yeah, dude, definitely um get well soon to Molly. But I do appreciate both between you and Molly's mom, like the joint worried parent Instagram posts, which literally make me feel very good because I look at my dog all the time like, why did I get you? I essentially purchased, not really, but I adopted something with the sole ability to destroy me, which is a weird thing about being a dog owner. Like you you brought something in your life that can mm -hmm. literally destroy you. Yeah, that will destroy you and your wallet. So it's just a nice reinforcement (laughs) that I should never procreate. And, you know, you know, what's interesting about this whole thing coming full circle is that I was up in Seattle last week when we did the Suicide Squad episode. And Seattle would have been a great location to do this episode because I don't know how close I am to Forks, Washington. I don't even know Forks, Washington exists, but it would have been fun for me to go to Forks and try to like do some location scouting and maybe be at the high school where this movie takes place. Well, let me be the one to tell you that Forks does exist. Yes. So does the house from this movie. For folks that can't tell, if you weren't up on, you know, early 2000s romance novels and, you know, allegories about abstinence, we're talking Twilight Kids. And uh, I want to give a fan shout out to Annalise Smith. She was a fan of our earlier vampire episodes, and she requested that this one join our list. Um, she wants to know if we're Team Edward or Team Jacob. I know we're going to discuss that. Kind of on the opinion that maybe we shouldn't be Team either, but let's break it down. We're talking Twilight. Came out in 2008. It is a 49% rotten score on the tomato meter, but it has a 73% fresh audience score. It's a big old disparity. The fans have said that they like it. Critics, not so much. And to break it down and discuss whether or not Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, we have her back. That's Seth Sabra. She's the host of The World Girls and SEN. And she loves vampires. Um, 
I think <laughs> werewolves too. I don't know. Steph, let us know. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Twilight? Rotten Tomatoes is so wrong about about Twilight. This was not just a moment. This was an absolute movement that continued an entire franchise. Sometimes it's not about the des- the journey. It's about the destination. It's not about <laughs> how every bite tastes. It's the taste that the aftertaste and the aftertaste of Twilight is iconic. Everything mm. about this movie is iconic, which is why 49% is a travesty. It deserves to be fresh. Yeah. Hey, I'm not going to disagree with you that this was the beginning of a very long journey. I think it was $4.2 billion at the box <laughs> office by the time it was all said and done. But you know what? Let's let's just start with where we start. The first iteration, Twilight. And Mark, if you can, please, sir, break down for us the plot of this 2008 romantic sci-fi. I, I want to say trope, but let's just say adventure. Venture, and that's a great word for it because Bella Swan is going on an adventure from Arizona where it's hot and sunny to Forks, Washington, which I hear does exist, and it's rainy, and it's damp, and it's moist, and it's cold. Bella shows up to her dad's place with her only friend, a cactus, and then she starts going to high school, and she's trying to make some friends. She gets in a nice little click, but there's this guy Edward, and he's part of this family, the Coens, and they're just sort of outcasts. They stick to themselves. They have a, Their dad's a very prominent doctor in town. And then she ends up getting in a situation where, hey, maybe this Edward is interesting, and maybe this Edward doesn't like me, or maybe he really likes me. I can't really tell what's going on with this Eddie. In the meantime, she also reconnects with Jacob, who she knew from way, way, way back, and that's going to play in later in the franchise. But for right now, for this movie, we primarily stick with Bella being intrigued by Edward and who he is. Well, it turns out, get this, he's a goddamn vampire. <laughs> yep. He is a vampire. He's a bloodsucker. He glows in the sunlight. Doesn't doesn't melt. Doesn't turn into newspaper like your Christopher Lee Dracula. But he is a vampire. And so he has these great abilities and some limitations. And she ends up falling for Edward. All the while, we have this mysterious presence that is terrorizing some of the folks in Forks, Washington. And we're trying to get to the bottom of it. Is it the Coens? Is it other vampires? Is it something going on with Jacob and his crew? Who the hell is doing these evil deeds? And who is going to fall in love first? Is it going to be Bella with Edward? Is it going to be Jacob with Bella? Is it going to be Jacob with Edward? Is it going to be both of them with Bella? Is it going to be Bella's dad meeting somebody? God forbid. There's a whole lot going on in Twilight. And that's why there is probably such a big disparity between <laughs> the tomato meter and the audience score for this movie. The audience seems to really enjoy it. The critics, eh, maybe not so much. Which side are we on? That's why we're here. Wow. I will give it up for you, Mark. You gave way more plot and depth to this movie than I think even Stephanie Myers, who wrote the original book, would. <laughs> if I was doing this synopsis, I would have been like, girl too stupid to live, who blinks a lot, falls in love with a vampire, and nearly <laughs> dies. That would be it for me. I, I wanted to be fair to both you and to Steph, who yeah. I'm, I still have this conspiracy theory that our fan Annalise is actually Steph Sabra's pen name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I feel like my whole life added up to this moment. High school Steph would have been like, <laughs> the fact that you're doing this stuff is such an accomplishment. But by the way, I meant to tell you guys that I watched you all sleep last night. I hope that's okay. <laughs> God, so it. creepy. We're going to get into the creep. But first, um, she's micless today, but that doesn't mean we can't hear her. Uh, let's go ahead and say hi to Producey Lucy. How you doing, ma'am? 
Oh my gosh. I am so good because I, I saw this movie when I was in high school and it gave shut me up. butterflies <laughs> and it made me feel things I'd never felt before. And guess what? Upon rewatching it last night, it, re- it, it the, the flame has been relit. Even though I laughed out loud at certain parts, I'm, I'm in love. Did you read the books? Who read the books here? I read all the books, definitely. Yeah, but I'm a girl that like Twilight was very much meek fair for the amount, the kind of romance novels that I read. This is like, <laughs> you know, yeah, this is like tipping your toe into like fantasy romance. I'm like, you don't even know. Edward, as far as we can tell, only has one uh, sexual appendage and the books that I deal with, that is very much the rarity, <laughs> not the, the norm. We'll get into that in a little bit. But before we do it, uh, Steph, you said that Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. I'm guessing because you feel more along with the fans that it should be way higher. Um, but, you know, break it down for us a little bit more. Why exactly is Rotten Tomatoes wrong? And more importantly, I think what's interesting with this one, why was it wrong at the time? Like, because I feel like it was a movie of its time. Yeah, I think for why it was wrong at its time is because if you look at it through the lens of it was kind of an indie project, you know what I mean? Like no one thought it was going to blow up. It went it had such a short time between it was a book to movies and then blew up in a way that no one could imagine. Everyone who read the books felt that way. But then there was people who didn't read the books who Mm. became obsessed with it. But there's just so many things about this film that everyone remembers. And I think what makes a movie important and, and fresh is if you remember it, like the characters are iconic. It's one of the most iconic love triangles of all time. Are you team Edward? Are you team Jacob? I, I can tell so much about a person, what, their answer is and that is because of what the the romance did it's the most quote one of the most quotable movies ever i told lucy before we started this i quote twilight in almost every single day like casual (laughs) conversation it's always relevant Uh, the soundtrack was unbelievable ahead of its time Uh, the fact that robert pattinson had two songs in it and no one even really knew oh i knew (laughs) well the real fans knew because we're like is that robert pattinson (laughs) yeah it's really funny i will get into the thing about this movie that it was definitely at the height of was my love affair with robert pattinson which is not waned necessarily but definitely as i got older it was a little bit different so okay i'm I'm down with that one definitely gave me a sexual it was like a new sexual awakening where i'm like oh i like sparkly men it was different yeah. And then um, I feel lastly, it just the movie somehow was every single film genre in one. It was horror. It was romance. It was comedy. It was drama. I don't think it meant to be comedy. But to me, that hits harder <laughs> as an adult. And it helps me like the film more. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. It, unintentional laughs are still laughs. Uh, Mark, <laughs> what about you? Uh, Rotten Tomatoes is, I'm guessing, wrong. Hey, it's all laughs. And it's good. Uh, there, there are some some genuine moments of comedy here, too, thanks to some of the supporting cast around the high school. I, on this show historically, have said Rotten Tomatoes wrong, and I say, no, no, this movie should be way, way higher or way lower. And then sometimes I get into that territory where, regardless of a movie's fresh or rotten on the tomato meter, I say, it belongs right there at that Spaceballs number, 59%, which Spaceballs should be higher, but right on the cusp of fresh, but not quite. This mm. movie, being in the high 40s, 
You know, Jacqueline, when I think of accuracy, I think of Dan Marino in 1984. I think of Tiger Woods in 2000. And I definitely think of the tomato meter with this Twilight film because it is exactly where it is supposed to be. The tomato meter has never been more right than it is with Twilight. It's not a horrific movie. It's not a fresh movie. There's a lot of enjoyment you can get out of it. And so I think that it is properly positioned and it also gives the audience a chance to say, no, it should be much higher. So it gives them something to talk. And, you know, it gives everybody a chance to gab and share their love of what I will agree with, Steph. It is an iconic love triangle. Yeah, it is an iconic love triangle, which, let's be honest, uh, franchises have uh, made their way on a lot less than that. And so yep. the fact that they were able to push this through, I don't know. This was like really hard for me because part of me wants to say Rotten Tomatoes is wrong because I definitely loved this movie. But as the other chapters came along, I almost felt bad. Like, oh, what have I done? Like, I very much felt like the dude at the end of Bridge of River Kwai. Like, what did I do? Like, I got really into this and like was was deep in my Tumblr face with this. And yes, now I Tumblr feel like, Twilight. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, really, I really feel I was like, oh, I contributed to this. Like, I don't know if this is a good thing. And so, like, it's I have weird opinions on it. So I guess I'd say that Rotten Tomatoes is wrong but I'm okay with it being wrong. How about that? Like, I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong in my heart, but knowing all of the stuff that happened after this and some of the really, really problematic relationship tropes that this cemented in the minds of a lot of preteen women, Me I'm like, included. you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, I was old enough to like, like see this for what it was when it came out. That's why when Lucy was like, I was in high school, I'm like, shut up. Like, it's just, it's so not cute to hear you say that because I was, I was past, I was just barely past college. But you're lucky because you didn't get the impressionable impressionable side of it. I was in a relationship with someone that I rationalized their behavior because I was like, I'm Bella, this is Edward, and this is the greatest love story that's ever started. Yeah, no, I had had, I had already had those sort of like problematic relationships. Mine were like, with movies like Can't Hardly Wait. So like I was way past that uh, by the time we get here. We're, we're talking like Dawson's Creek problematic was my problematic uh, <laughs> fantasy version of relationships. You anyway. You so in love with dudes in khakis on boats? I mean, yeah. Yeah, fairies. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. We had fun. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, remind us where the critics were back at the time, since I'm reminding myself where I was, um, with our favorite segment, uh, Tim Ryan, our review curation manager, is going to break down what the critics were saying about this film back in 2008 in a segment we like to call Two Minutes with Tim. Take it away. Two Minutes with Tim. All right, I'm going to give you a list of some stuff right now. Franz List, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, and The Jackson 5. What do they all have in common? Teenage girls will write about them before everybody else. The same thing is happening with K-pop as we speak. You know what else teenage girls were right about? The movies. It's hard to imagine now in a world where everything seems catered to teenage boys, but the earliest and most passionate fans of films in the 1900s and 1910s were teenage girls and young women. And there was much tut-tutting and finger-wagging among the pundit class about how silly those teenage girls and young women were. That they were absorbing the images on the screen on an emotional surface level without having any deeper analysis, which is obviously nonsense. 
And at the same time, some of that was true for Twilight, which is why some of the culture-wide snickering that was directed at it didn't really sit all that well with me. I mean, if Edward Cullen was good for anything, he'd be an expert eyewitness for all of this stuff, given that he was a teenager for 100 years. But even if some of the knocks on Twilight were unfair, that doesn't invalidate any criticism of it. And the general feeling among the critics was that while Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson had genuine chemistry, it was all a little bit too self-serious to work as a whole. It's at 49% on the tomato meter with 222 reviews, but it does have a 73% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Genevieve Kolsky of the AV Club wrote, while the movie attempts to find a compelling middle ground between gothic supernaturalism and teenage romance, it usually winds up stumbling into the inane territory implied by both descriptions. However, in a fresh review, Kim Voinar of Movie City News wrote, Stewart is a fine, talented actress, and she ups the ante considerably here. Her strong performance makes of Twilight a far better film than it would have been with a lesser actress in the part. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, Having lost much of its bite transitioning to the big screen, Twilight will please its devoted fans but do little for the uninitiated. And as a final note, I want to say that when we found out that there's a scene in New Moon, the novel, in which Bella's trying to figure out what movie to go see and she name-checks Rotten Tomatoes, we were genuinely excited and flattered about that. I remember this. I do remember this. There's a lot of things from the book that I wish they would have explored more in the movie, but you can't for a lot of different reasons. Otherwise, it would just be too long, too boring, and too mm -hmm. explainy. But I, I give it up for Tim. Um, one of the reasons why Twilight was roasted so hard is the same reason why NSYNC was roasted, the same reason why all those bands that uh, he mentioned were roasted. Teenage girls don't like teenage girls when they are teenage girls. And nobody else likes them outside of that. Like, they're just a very easy target because we are passionate and emotional and get very excited about things and scream in high-pitched levels. Yeah. And, <laughs> a and, little annoying. And, and a little annoying. And so, like, I get it. Like, again, as a teenage girl, you didn't even like teenage girls. Like, no teenage girl was saying, yes, this was the greatest time of my life. And nobody was a backstabbing little heifer around me. So I get it. Um <laughs> why anything yeah. you know that is teenage girly is just put in this category of this sucks it is a really good argument because also in the same vein the reason why bella was so attractive to teenage girls was because bella was just a normal girl she didn't she wasn't normal in the sense that no one could no vampires powers worked on her but she she did she wasn't like the cheerleader she wasn't the most popular she wasn't extroverted she wasn't highly excelling at school she was just regular bella and then she somehow became the star of the movie, the romantic love interest. And I think that resonated with a lot of girls who were not the most popular, not like the most beautiful ex externally. Um, but I get why people get annoyed by little girls loving a, a franchise. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And yeah. by comparison, teenage boys, I can speak to this. We have it all figured out. We literally <laughs> have everything solved. Yeah. By the but time yeah. we're 15, we get our driver's permit. We're good for life. But this is the thing with teenage <laughs> boys. As, as equally obnoxious as they are, unfortunately, there's an entire generation of men that are older than them that are literally about the same. Yeah. So I like, mean, so they kind of get to be lumped into that. It's like, oh, from about 16 to 35, y'all are interchangeable. It's just whether or not you're staying at home. I'm yeah. not saying as far as like who you are. I'm just saying the things you like, the things you do. Eh, they're not this pattern of behavior. Yeah. So you all yeah. were teenagers and you grew up. To me, the modern era of Mark Ellis started in 10th grade and we haven't really evolved past that yet. So <laughs> I'll keep you posted. Exactly. And I don't mind them for it. Look, hey, you guys commit and I appreciate you for it. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about all of this a little bit more in depth. Let's switch on over to our movie talk section. Brian, cue the music. So this is going to be really great because, again, I, I feel like this is a moment that I've been I've been studying for ever since I found my mother's Jackie Collins romance novel when I was seven years old, y'all. Seven. I started yeah. reading romance novels, and that's way too young, especially if you know anything about Jackie Collins. But, Steph, why don't you, like, what is it with the sexy, supernatural teen romance? Because it's just, it's a genre that has kind of been going on since Bram Stoker's Dracula in a lot of ways, which is, like, to me, one of the very first teen romance uh, paranormal things. Yeah, I, th- I think it's... It's a few things, but everyone, you know, wants to be a kid in the Goonies who finds the treasure map and goes on an adventure. Everyone wants to kind of be the star of their own story and have something supernatural. They want to be the different one that finds like a different love story. And then I think that with girls in general, there's this huge fascination since when we were younger to our whole lives where having like this unbelievable, unique love experience is somehow put into our brains as the goal. So then it just mixes so perfectly well with a supernatural sci-fi storytelling element because it is already implementing a different sort of thing. So like what's hotter than Robert Pattinson? Robert Pattinson as a freaking vampire who sparkles with abs <laughs> just like it's such a good money maker to mix the two and then uh, obviously sci-fi and fan- like these sort of stories are so enticing in itself and then when you mix it with romance it's just it's like crack <laughs> yeah I I agree with that there's something also look at that point in a teenage girl's progression the idea of something slightly dangerous is always appealing. Like that was like one of the things like Mina Harker, that was it. She was destined to marry Jonathan. She had everything planned out until the vampire comes into town and just makes her completely change who she is. And then there's also something that also like Stephanie Meyer, one of the things that she did, which people don't key on is she pulled in aspects of classic novels as far as heroines 
that made Bella the perfect heroine. Being ordinary, but someone finding something extraordinary in you. And those are all things that, let's be honest, girls that are way more likely to be found in the library than the tennis court are going to resonate with, right? Um, I don't know, yes. Mark. Uh, did you, were you hanging out with these girls back in, in the same time frame for you? Or did you, were you, did you know this was a thing? Was it a thing when you were like in high school? I don't know. If I was hanging out with a girl in high school, it was a great day. Um, <laughs> I, I never, I, I don't feel, because I, I, was, I was pretty popular in, in high school because like I could be the, the, the funny one, but it was never like, it, like very romantic with anyone. And so you would see these different cliques though. And so I kind of had a bird's eye view of everything. And in my Neanderthal brain, it's always more that the, the teenage girl is attracted to that danger and that bad boy trope than it would be the other way around. And I think a lot of that has to do with your expectations that are put on you from whoever raised you is that they just uh, want you to meet the the nice boy, the boy down the street, the boy who's gonna go to college and all that stuff. And so everybody has that rebellious phase and what's more rebellious than you know dating a vampire. So mm. I, I think that's a big part of it. But then you also have that element like one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when they lead each other out to the woods and she sort of is is wise to who Edward Cullen actually is. And he is just keep demanding. He's like, say it, say it, say yes. it. Yes. And, oh, and, and she, she has to <laughs> board so out good. vampire. And I think a big reason for that is because it's also <laughs> he wants to hear her acknowledge that she is into this because it is so mysterious and different and mythological. And so I think that that's, that's important for both of them to actually verbalize it. So that is one of the few healthy parts of their relationship is that their cards are on the table at that moment. It's like, hey, I don't go into the woods with a Mark Ellis because he's into sports and Magic the Gathering. I go into the woods with this guy because he's got a very weird skin tone and I think he's a goddamn van. I can't stress that enough, a vampire. And see, that's the thing where I'm like, cards are still not on the table because the reason why that scene still makes me cringe is because, and I remember this when I saw it in the theater, when she's just like, how long have you been 17? And he says, a while. Yeah. Died laughing. How old are you? 17. How long have you been 17? A while. It's like, wait, so Died your birthday's laughing. next week or? Yeah. He's like a while. Just and then they continue to make jokes about like throughout the movie, there's like a few more comments on how he's 100 years older. And he's like, now you're making it weird. I'm like, no, what is weird is that it already is your Absolutely. age. <laughs> and look, and it alludes to actually another thing, which was that Robert Pattinson was very much in love with Kristen Stewart during this first movie. And she was not 18 for the first half of filming. She turned 18 during the filming. And Catherine Hardwick, the director, threatened him. <laughs> Good. Like, she's 17, buddy, and you will go to jail. So, like, I yeah. think that's, that's actually really funny. What about you? What's your favorite scene, Steph, uh, from the film? Uh, oh my gosh, there's so many good scenes, but I, there, like, if you want to talk about a scene that's kind of what I liked as a teen because it was just so everything about romance is when Edward and Bella are now officially dating. They park the Volvo, which I wanted any guy to like show up in a Volvo. I still kind of do. I want someone to whiplash in a Volvo in front of me. And they come out of the car and he's wearing like these Ray-Bans and like the whole school is looking at them. 
and he's like reading everyone's mind about what they're saying about them. And I just like remember wanting that to happen so bad. But in terms of actual scenes that I love, I do love when she Bella's doing her research to find out if he's a vampire, mm. goes to the bookstore because she's not regular. She doesn't want to go prom dress shopping. <laughs> and then and then is um finds those creepy men in the while she's walking back and they're harassing her, like going to assault her, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere. He whips the Volvo out and saves her. And then the entire drive where he's like, you have no idea what they were thinking. Say something to distract me. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Where are you going? Where are you going? Yeah, you hang out with us. Come on, come on. What's the problem? like that, man. You're pretty. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. The reason I like this scene was because even though it was creepy that he was following her, it is like women we live in fear every single day when we're walking. So to have this guy show up at the perfect time and then now it's you go to dinner and you're like so in love with each other. I was just like, this scene is it. (laughs) Yeah, I will admit to I definitely uh, enjoy that scene. But also, let's talk about it. She's still too stupid to live. Girl, walk with your keys out in lighted areas. Actually, something that uh, somebody noticed is like, I, I walk my dog and in our neighborhood, there's like this street and it's like a busy street. And I was walking with someone. They're like, why do you walk down this street? I'm like, because as a woman, you're programmed to walk along the busiest street possible. Yep. You don't walk exactly. into the neighborhood with no lights. You walk on the street where if somebody kidnapped you, hopefully there's a ring uh, video somewhere that they can track you down. Like, you know, and you like, Charlie is your father, which we haven't mentioned. Yeah. Mark was tweeting about Charlie yesterday because he is the greatest character in the yes. franchise. Yep. Yes. 100% Charlie's the MVP, but Charlie's your father. Uh, he's setting you up for success. What happened? Yeah, <laughs> what dude. Pepper spray. Really? Pepper I, spray. I, I'm glad Steph brought that scene up, too, because that's the scene where people like me going to this movie, like, how are you going to fall in love with a with, with, with a creature, with, with somebody who could turn into a bat at any minute who's 100 years older than you? But that scene, it's not enough that that Edward sort of rescues Bella from dying because the car was about to hit her. A car spins out of control in the high school parking lot early in the movie, and nobody is close enough to stop this car to save Bella, but then Edward just shows up, puts his arm out, puts a dent in the car, saves her life. Even that is not strong enough. That's just a reaction. The fact that we see this guy tail her, again, a little creepy, but save her just in the nick of time from all these 'er ne'er-do-wells who totally probably live in a town like that and would do the same thing. Then we all buy into that, okay, he may be a vampire, but he has some sort of code of chivalry that is rare for a high school or really any male 100 years old, 50 years old, that now I can accept that they might have a relationship because this guy, when you compare him to all the other townsfolk in Forks, actually doesn't seem that bad anymore. Yeah, that was exactly the car doors for her. He does open the car doors for her. So nice. If you're not opening the car doors for for a lady, then I don't know what to tell you. You should should learn that from that should be part of the learner's permit test. (laughs) <laughs> is just have anybody walk over and and if you don't open the door for them, then you fail. Also, they should play that scene in the yeah. DMV. <laughs> also, shout out to that Volvo. That Volvo was Volvo was not the car of uh, teenagers at that time, but that Volvo became like a huge seller because of of this movie. 
when we talk about my scene, it's actually funny. My scene when I was in my early 20s watching this for the first time was your scene stuff was definitely the like them walking up because you have the girl who would eventually go on to play Selena. I think her name is like Christina. She like takes the picture. She's like, oh, my God, I love that. Like that is like such a high school moment. That's like Rachel Lee Cook walking in for the first time after the makeover. Like that's like huge. (laughs) Yes. That was my scene back then. My scene now as a 30-something who is looking to purchase property is the scene when they get to the house. And I'm just like, oh, man, look at all that natural light. Man, look at that. It's a two-story. It's in wilderness. Real wood. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, I want this house. Like, all I think about now, like, the biggest fantasy in 2008 was Edward. The biggest fantasy now is that property. I'm like, oh, I want to live there. Is the Cohen property? Yeah, it's a real place, too. And it was owned by, like, a Nike executive. Um, Next time that that sounds like uh, the Pacific Northwest to me. Next time I go up there, I got to check it out because that scene to me also typifies why this movie is completely ridiculous and does not deserve to be fresh is she. okay? fine. (laughs) You find out he's a vampire. You're intrigued. I get it. We all had a phase like that. The fact that this clan of vampires that has maintained secrecy for so long because of their clandestine nature decides, oh, well, Edward has some puppy love for this one. Let's bring her over, feed her dinner, and just put it all on the table that, yeah, we're vampires. Uh, don't tell anyone. What are we doing, Cohen's? You're getting soft. You're getting lazy in your old age. <laughs> well, this is one thing that's cleared up better in the books. I'm not going to say it's not. It should be explained in the movie, but it's not. The thing with vampires is apparently once you meet your person, like, that's it. Like they they don't they don't get remarried like they don't break up like it's very rare like because of how they feel so deeply like once you meet your person like that's it. That, and so, not like imprinting, but yes, yes. It's, and, imprinting is a whole different. That's a whole other thing. thing. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> creepy. Cre- creepy baby imprinting. Anyway, yeah. so so apparently, as soon as they saw that she was Edward's person and Alice had actually seen them like getting married, her becoming a vampire, like all of these other things. And they all great. kind of had to that, like accept it. That but is great background. They should have they definitely made that a little bit more clear because otherwise you're like, why? It's a big issue with the movie because we had time to do cool expository things like that. But instead we had all these weird shots of Edward just staring at Bella <laughs> and the filmmaking itself is, is the biggest hangover with this. But well, besides the writing, because you have two A-list actors, in my opinion, Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart, and they are given crap for dialogue, but they make it work. OK, for the most part, they do make it work. I just it, it, there's so many like weird, unnecessary shots that get a lot of those unintentional laughs you're talking about, like these close up zooms of Edward, like it's Martin Scorsese making a student film. And it just was so not necessary as much as maybe some cool story points like what you're talking about from the books that didn't make it into the film. Yeah. Also, too, I have to get up for Catherine Hardwick, who's the director of this. She actually directed a really well, a couple of great movies. Lords of Dogtown, which is the great uh, yep. surfer, uh, not sorry, skateboarding yeah. movie Skateboard, yeah. that was based off of uh, Dogtown and Z-Boys, the incredible documentary which basically talked about southern california skateboarding culture and the and the guys that were part of that but the interesting part that she also did was 13 which she actually co-wrote with one of the folks in this one nikki reed and it really sort of encapsulated and it starred uh, evan rachel wood and nikki reed 
And the two of them really sort of encapsulated that very rebellious, messy, how you can go from like playing with Barbie dolls one year to like shoplifting at the mall the next. And that's like very much part of being a teenage girl. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you're talking about my older sister. I mean, that is really kind of how that how that goes down. And so that was, I think, what got her the job was that she could understand the sort of like young girl, female psyche. And I just don't think she was set up for success with this one, which we'll get to when we kind of break down more of the behind the scenes stuff. But Kevin Hardwick is a very talented director. I just wonder... It's so weird. Like this movie really was like an arbitrage around her. And basically the same thing happened with um, Sam Taylor when she did Fifty Shades of Grey. We'll get like which we'll talk about that one. Um, Just one more thing about the scene that I love about the house. I actually liked that they were watching uh, home cooking. Like, again, basically, I got into my old lady about this. I'm like, oh, they're watching like HTTV and like the Food Network and the house looks like it could be like one of those like famous, like fancy houses. Like, I just, I want to live there. So that was my favorite scene. And watching Nikki Reed's character really hate Bella. That was actually one of my favorite things was just like her being like, girl, you are dumb. You're going to end up dinner. And I was kind of with her like, yeah, she's definitely going to end up to be dinner. Uh, There's, there's definitely some, some quotes in this that are cringeworthy. Uh, shout out to Mark Hoffmeyer. He talks about how the writer of this, who actually also is the showrunner and writer for Jessica Jones. So like the woman knows how to write. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear. Melissa Rosenberg, I think her name is. Um, she wrote this movie and still to this day despises all of the references to monkeys because there's the <laughs> monkey man in the baseball <laughs> scene. And then there's also, oh God. I can't say it without laughing. It's so you good. Better, you better hold on, Spider. <laughs> hold it. on tight, Spider, spider monkey. monkey. It's so stupid. Yes. I didn't know what that was in the theater. I couldn't understand what that was until I saw it on. I was like, oh, he really said that. Steph, really is that one of those that. quotes that you say daily from Twilight? Yes. I mean, I, that one for sure. And then the say it out loud. I'll say that like all the time. There's so or but the most quotable I'll have to say is Jacob. We haven't uh, Jacob <laughs> Jacob's lines like when he's like, it's just a scary story, Bella. Like I will sit and just repeat Jacob lines. But speaking of the houses, I don't know if you can Airbnb the Colin residence, but you can Airbnb the Swan residence. Yes. And I think I'm going to have to do that by the time I die. Yeah. And Forks is a real place that has had a huge there's like Twilight tours that you can do. There's been a huge like cottage industry of like Twilight heads in the same way that like people make pilgrimages to New Zealand to see yeah. Hobbiton. But these these girls were making and I still think there's like a, a, a big Twilight convention that still happens like I fairly regularly, is. fairly regularly because yeah. the Twilight kids also there was another section and I was like right in the middle of this. That was the Twi moms. The Twi moms mm. were like older women who were into Twilight had like book circles that they just like all had their little yeah but they're yeah but their kids were too young for like reading it as a YA novel um these are the same women that made Hunger Games a thing and Fifty Shades of Grey I might also add because like this is the other thing about romance novels you kind of have to keep up in the ante and it gets progressively more depressing after each one um let's see oh yeah so Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart, uh, Rob, you said, Mark, that that was great acting. Mm, I don't I think said either. They're great. I said they're great actors. 
and the, I mean, they, they did as good of a job as they could have with that dialogue. I, I, I'm going to say something controversial. I loved Kristen Stewart as a child actor. She was in Panic Room. She was in this great Lifetime movie called Speak about a young girl that was assaulted. She like I loved her before the age of 18. I cannot think of very many films of hers that I've enjoyed since then. Mm. And I'm not saying that she's a bad actress, but I have just not enjoyed any of her choices. She uh, definitely r- has a specific style. Yeah. But I feel like this was kind of uh, how... Uh, Anakin was directed in Star in like all of the prequels. Like I think that they were directed to be a little bit over dramatic, which I think people don't like necessarily because it's taking itself too seriously. But to your earlier point about the director and like th- I think of thirteen because I think it's all from Bella's mindset. Mm-hmm. You're living and seeing a life through an angsty teen and all of the characters are in that same vein. That's a great yeah. point. That is a great point. And so that's why maybe you do see more of those just weird jarring shots of him just staring at her, just being so <laughs> weird and disgusted with her and off put. And be that's a great, great point, Steph. I got to rewatch this whole stupid movie now. Yeah. I would be like, do I smell? Why are you making yeah. that face yeah, in class? Yeah, we're all so insecure when we're that age that maybe you, you, you are just, you're seeing something that's not really there. You're perceiving something that may not actually be there. Yeah. Um, I will say this uh, just to put my solidification on the acting. If you want to know why I think there's a problem with the acting, look at the final scene. The final scene of the movie, which is actually, if you watch the DVD, you know, was actually the first thing that they shot. Mm. And watch, watch Kristen Stewart die. And also watch like Robert Pattinson like save her. And like, those are not really dialogue things. Those are just them doing what they're doing. When she goes cross-eyed. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I Look, that girl has talent. I am not trying to say she's not talented, but I just don't know if she's been given a role that comes up to her. And I'm not thinking that her playing Princess Diana in Spencer, which is going to be released released later this year, is going to be that movie. That's my personal opinion. I have more faith in in Battinson. Battinson, me too. I'm really excited. I, I for just that have movie. to say it. But their chemistry was undeniable, as I said. Um, also, we can thank Robert Pattinson for being cast in this Xanax. Do y'all know this story? No. Robert Pattinson, because we did this great video that's actually on RottenTomatoes.com about him and how he went from Sparkle Vamp to The Dark Knight. And in it, he um, talks about how he was a horrible auditioner. And he was literally like, this is like a bad audition, but he got got called for a final callback. So he's like, hey, maybe this will work. So he took a Xanax when he did his chemistry test with Kristen Stewart and it allowed him to relax enough and basically just used his natural attraction to her as a way. And the scene that they did was the scene with them in bed. Wow. And so basically Xanax and horniness is what allowed Robert Pattinson to be our Edward. If not, we might have gotten Ben Barnes. Not a bad choice, by the way, but. That's a beautiful modern love story. (laughs) (laughs) What a beginning. So the real love triangle is between Pattinson and Stewart and Xanax. Okay. Yes, Yes, exactly. Um, I have a question though for you guys. Like, so let's look at this crew. What's her name? Christina. She played Selena. 
Mm-hmm. Justin Chone, who plays Eric, became like a very accomplished and talented director who has a new movie coming out that he directed and starred in called uh, Blue Bayou. He also did Gook and Miss Purple. He's like a really up and coming indie director. Miss mm-hmm. Anna Kendrick, Pitch Perfect. Uh, we got Battinson. Yeah. A Charlie's, it. yeah, Charlie's Angels. Also, Kristen Stewart has a very like successful career. She's done a lot of stuff since then. Maybe not stuff that I've enjoyed, but she's definitely stayed working. Yeah, dude, there's a lot of folks in this that have gone on to do like some pretty dope stuff. I'm trying to think of I'm anybody like, else. I'm fully on team, as I said, Bella's dad. I'm I'm fully on that team because it just I have so much sympathy for the dude where your daughter, who you just want to be successful and meet somebody nice, brings home a vampire, and then she's like, yeah, no, maybe I'll bring home a werewolf. And it's like, can you just please, yeah. who's next? Are you bringing home the thing from the Black Lagoon? Now? Can, can you just date a nice boy? <laughs> I know. She keeps leaving but, and coming back with like broken arms. And- yeah. I mean, ser- Just, too stupid to live. That is actually but, a trope from books. And that's what Bella is. Too stupid to live. She makes I, poor decisions, y'all. I also love, uh, I thought Anna Kendrick was was great. She yeah. was, she had a lot of the more, you know, comedic moments that brought some yes. levity to it. And I thought that was crucial in this movie. And she pulled it off fantastic. Yeah, hers was my favorite. Like when she's talking about Edward, she's like, yeah, like no girls here are pretty enough for him. <laughs> like I care. She does a great front of me. Let's give it yeah. up for her. Like like Anna really Kendrick good. does a really, really great front of me. And it's great to mention her too, because, you know, she went on to do probably one of the biggest, most successful modern musicals with Pitch Perfect. And for what you will say about Twilight, I will give you this. The music in this movie is just really incredible. I think my favorite musical cue is actually the baseball scene. Uh, I actually oh, kind of got so into good. Muse uh, because of, of that scene. I thought it was really good. They they did like Starlight. And Muse became like a romantic comedy staple. They were also really big in that crazy, stupid love movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently that was Stephanie Myers. That was one of the bands that she listened to a lot when she was... Uh, writing this. I don't know. What are y'all favorite musical drops from it? Definitely Robert Pattinson's songs. I I just thought the Let Me Sign was so perfect when she was going cross-eyed. It kind of took you out of that. Like You kind of didn't focus on the cross-eyed and just what was (laughs) happening. And then Paramore at that time. Yes. Oh my God, I was a ride or die Paramore girl. So when you heard those, both of those songs, you just knew it just fits so perfectly with the scenes. Yeah. Uh, Mark, yeah. what about you? I was going to reference that the Paramore stuff is really good. And I think holds up as well as anything in the movie. I did not know until I read Mark Hoffmeyer's awesome research and I heard you two reinforce it that Robert Pattinson was involved with the music in this movie. But, um, you know, again, sometimes all the talent and all the looks are just given to one person and the rest of us just have to live with that. My skin, I've been in the sunlight. It doesn't glow, guys. <laughs> I think well, I would have, have a unibrow and he doesn't. Thank yeah. you, Steph. I, I'm yeah. taking that as a compliment. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it is. It is. I feel like that makes you more biologically advanced. Yeah. My, you know my unibrow is the, the only part of me that does glow in the sunlight. Oh, it, just, it has God. that vampire glisten. I don't want anybody <laughs> listening to this who has not seen Mark Ellis online or in the flesh to assume that. If he does have a unibrow, he has kept it. He's he's manscaping it regularly nowadays, ladies and gentlemen. That's I don't true. believe it. Uh, fake news. Uh, the one thing I will <laughs> say about, for me, actually, because when this came out, it's very much in my Austin. There's a bar there called the Continental Club where you can watch live music. In Austin, this was definitely a place where I would literally go out on a Thursday night and just listen 
to the music and just and and literally like pick up people after that. This is early days of like Spotify, I think even maybe not Spotify. This is like Apple Music, but either way, like downloading music. And so you could really find these up and coming bands. And one of the ones that I knew about was Iron and Wine. They were like a really big indie band and they did the last song. Flightless um, Bird. Yeah, Flightless right. Bird. And that one actually, uh, another great soundtrack movie, Garden State. They're on that one as well. Oh, that was, Garden State does have a great soundtrack. Yeah, they were on that one as well. And I think that's when I first got keyed into them. Let's be honest. I, I only listen to movie scores now because that's the only thing I can listen to when I'm writing. Uh, but half of the music that I become in contact with is from movies, like half of it. Like that's the only new music I'm being exposed to is like if somebody does a great needle drop and there's some great needle drops in this one. I, I will give it that. Um, yeah. And then uh, Robert Pattinson playing the piano and the uh, that that lullaby that he's playing was written by uh, Carter Burrell, who's the composer for this one. But Pattinson like keyed it up. And as someone who is it has mediocre piano skills, let me tell you, that is a lot easier. He makes it a lot look a lot easier than it is. I'll I'll say that. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I don't know. Steph, do you have anything else you want to shout out? Like a favorite scene or or moment that we didn't get to yet? Um, I'm trying to think. You know, the whole movie to me is like the most watchable thing. I will say if you want if you want to have like a really good time, I would watch this in a marathon with your friends. And if you don't like this genre, think of it as you roasting it and you will have the best time ever. Like there's so many things to comment on. But yeah, I did speaking of the prom, I really did like that prom scene at the end. I think that made a, a beautiful ending to the intro of their love story. And then I think what the film did really well was it set up a sequel in a way that wasn't forced. Like yeah. if they didn't get the sequel, it would have been okay. But I did like how you were invested enough in all of the characters to, um, to be, to want a sequel. And then I did read in the prep that was so awesome with the Rotten Tomatoes team that Alice was supposed to be Japanese that I wish she was. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, that would have been. But I love that. Um, it was, what's her name? Green? Something yeah, green. Ashley Green. Ashley Green. She's awesome. She was one of my favorite characters, but that would have been cool if there was a Japanese Alice. Um, also, when Stephanie Meyer was writing this, I believe Henry Cavill was who she wanted to play. Nah, uh, Emmett, the big one. Oh. Yeah, like, I think that was like one of her her first choices for that. I forget what who some of her other choices, but I believe one of them was Rachel Lee Cook. Uh, was like, I think that was Stephanie Meyer's first like choice. For, like when she was writing this stuff, like person that she had in her mind. Because, you know, they always do that like, you know, author yeah. fan casting or whatever. But by the time the, the show came out, all of those people were like way too old. Um, before we go ahead and get into um, the bigger thing, because we've got to ask the the burning question, Team Edward and Team Jacob. But before then, is Edward the sexiest vampire for you, Steph? He's not for me, but he might be for you. And since this was brought upon our love of vampire genre, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong stuff, we might as well go ahead and, and clear this up. And I'll let you participate as well, Mark, because there are um, plenty of sexy vampires that I'm sure you could shout out as well. Thank but you. Steph, what about you? Well, one of them I was a part of this show for that is a tie with Edward Cullen. It's Kate Beckinsale. Uh, Celine is oh. one of the sexiest ever. I mean, the 
we talked about the leather. It just was an unbelievable awakening for the world. But yes, I think Edward Cullen to me is the sexiest vampire ever because he was the one that I wanted to be in a relationship with. I was like, oh, I'm trying to find an Edward. Now I realize there's a that's a lot of toxic behaviors. Yeah, 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 yeah there's yeah. a lot of toxicity. That's what I, I'm avoiding Edwards now. Yes. But because of what he did in my young adulthood life and now Robert Pattinson just as an actor, the connection between the character and the actor make him the hottest vampire ever for me. So that also puts you on Team Edward, I'm guessing. It's uh, no, like I'm Team Edward gang all the way. If you're Team Jacob, there's problems. (laughs) All right. What about you, Mark? Sexiest vampire. And then also let me know Team Edward, Team Jacob. Yeah, if I can't pick Team Charlie, then I'll have to figure out one of those monsters, (laughs) literal monsters for her to settle down with. I think the the two sexiest vampires in movie history to me, I have a a recency bias, but I'm going to say Salma Hayek in From Dusk Till Dawn. Mm? Incredible. Yes, very good one. Robert Rodriguez gonna say it's a remake but it's a great remake and it's gonna be colin farrell in fright night oh yeah i want to be friends with that vampire he seems like a really fun hang when he's not you know sucking your blood because the guy basically <laughs> lives like i do like he comes home he he just moved into this place and all, none of the boxes have been unpacked yet he he just drinks a beer eats an apple and watches tv late at night and then he goes out and sucks the blood you know what i mean yeah. yeah you know come on um, um, I think I'm on. Uh, Steph's going to hate this. I think that I do agree with you, Steph. I love that this movie sets up a sequel. And actually, leaving the theater, seeing this movie, I was like, I kind of want to see what happens. Here's why I'm going to stump for Team Jacob just in this movie. I'm not counting the sequels because I do agree that Edward was the right one. Jacob, just in this movie, Edward Cullen clearly is a head case. He's got so much going on with his family, not to mention his age. Hello. And Jacob is somebody that has always looked after Bella. Now, he didn't show up to save her from the 'er ne'er-do-wells and forks when she went to the bookstore, but she has a prior knowledge of who Jacob is, so she knows that Jacob is a grounded, stable guy who's going to have his own monster issues, but I just feel like Jacob, in this particular movie, I would have stuck with the safer choice and not risked the one that's going to be glimmering in all your wedding pics. I am going... Team Jacob. And I also have a soft spot for any movie werewolf in high school because Michael J. Fox was a great basketball player <laughs> in team. Nice. That's a good one. Um, we're going to get out of here. I'll just say it. I'm team neither. I'm team Charlie. I'm not even going to choose either one of these. They're both not great. But <laughs> hot vampires. I'm going to give one from TV, one from movies. Um, Tom Hiddleston in Only Lovers Left Alive. Ooh. Very sexy in that one. Brooding emo live for it uh and then on tv eric northman from true blood because oh that's a good one listen so hot all right we're gonna go ahead and close it out on our movie talk and do a little bit of behind the scenes here although we talked a lot about a lot of it already but brian let's go ahead and transition over to behind the scenes So like I said, we've talked about a lot of these because it kind of like goes into this. But also, I just want to know who the 5,000 dudes that were up against Robert Pattinson. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is some very like you're going to be an Annie type winning. Like Kristen Stewart was attached very early. But like, I think everybody else was 
was kind of like it came as it came. And she sort of stumped for him, I believe. Yeah. So she's partially responsible for getting him cast in the movie. And like you said, he was going up against Ben Barnes, who I still think is just one of the most drop-dead gorgeous humans I've ever seen. And I said yeah. that yeah. when he was Prince Caspian. I was like, who is that guy? And why is he the same species as me? I can't compete with that. Uh, Steph, are you? who would you have rather have seen if there was anybody play Edward? <sighs> I really, I, I really don't know. I like Ben Barnes a lot. I think he's really like a fascinating actor, which is what I would have wanted in an Edward. But when I read the books and then I saw who they picked, I just feel like it was the perfect pick, especially because of the chemistry. And even if it could have been acted in a different way, I don't think the movie would. Part of the reason why the movie's so good is because it's so obscure. Like things work that shouldn't have worked. Obviously, the way like how much money it made in the franchise. So, yeah, I guess Ben Barnes would have been a really good choice. But I, I'm with Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned about uh, the one that you could choose and pick because I just read this. I didn't realize this. Uh, Hold tight. Spider monkey was Pattinson. <laughs> yeah. I did not know See, this. that's why he was the right pick. <laughs> Yeah, wow. the writer's strike was going on. So Melissa, the screenwriter, was done working. And then Catherine was like, there's so much staring. I think we need a line. And then Rob was like, I've got one. And then they all went for it. And later on, Melissa, the screenwriter, was like, I hate that line. It could, but she had no control. She didn't get to like approve oh, it. Oh, well, that's really funny. Oh. She was the screenwriter, I think, for almost all of them. I think she wrote on all of them but was really funny that she sort of stuck through because what was really interesting is it's very clear that after the success of this one, they were not about Catherine Hardwick because she got replaced very quickly and did not, it was not because she was filming something else. Like they were just very much like, we're done with you. And it's this thing that they've done, they also did with the 50 Shades of Grey series. The first one was directed by a woman. And then after that, they just went to all dudes. And I think it's interesting, like once it becomes the hit, Um, After the woman director had to fight with, you know, a short shooting schedule, horrible resources. They were filming this in like the Northeast and apparently the lack of sun was not helping them film it whatsoever. Like all of those things made it a very difficult shoot. But then once they get more money and time, let's get Bill Condon and Chris, Chris White's and everybody else in there, which I think is like so unfair. Like, wouldn't she have liked to had a bigger budget to do it, you know? I agree. I think what she did with the budget and the circumstances should have spoken for itself, but there was probably problems, but it sucks because I feel like this often happens with women directors and women in the workplace in general, the qualities that men have, like they're called ambitious, we're called difficult. Yeah. So it just like is an unfair lens to view her from. And I feel like, has she done many projects since then? I mean, she's done a few. She did the Little Weird Riding Hood movie. Um, She did something else. So it's not like she hasn't worked since then. I think she's mostly worked on television since then. But it's just interesting. I mean, this woman made a movie that was gangbusters at the box office. And it seems like she in no way benefited, like, um, Sam Taylor Johnson actually talked about this, Aaron Taylor Johnson's wife, um, and she directed Fifty Shades of Grey. Phone did not ring after that. She's like, I have literally the movie that is lighting up the box office. And so many people have said one of the reasons why it's even watchable is because of the great direction she did. It's well shot. It's well shot. Didn't get a job whatsoever. It's always interesting to me, it seems like, who gets the credit for the success of films like this. Um, And again, I think it goes back to that, like, 
do we really respect the audience that is watching this? Like, do people just think, well, these are teenage girls. They're going to show up no matter what. So we can kind of do what we want. And I do think that, that, that there is some some moments in this movie where I, I do think the, the direction wasn't the best. But I can also say that I think some of that is the behind the scenes tug of war that was going on between Catherine Hardwick and Nancy Meyer, who, who was the author of it, who it was Stephanie Meyer. Stephanie, Stephanie Meyer, excuse me. Yeah, from, yeah Nancy Meyer. I was going to say, Nancy Meyer, I don't want to bring her into yeah. this. This has got her own problems, but I don't yeah. want to like add her in this. <laughs> but you, like as far back as like the casting of, of this movie, um, you had a you had a big tug of war that sometimes she had to give more than take. And I think that that makes it tough on any director. And that if you are labeled as if you're a male director and you're like that more often than not, you get labeled as as passionate or mm-hmm. As, as like a, a a visionary or a maverick, and, yeah. and if you're a female director, you're not afforded that luxury. And so I, I I give her a lot of credit for for sticking with it and and not and and speaking her truth after the fact because she's on the record and has been very honest about her experience, both good and bad. Because she she did have some some very tough circumstances to make the movie, but she also talked about how cool it was when you get introduced at conventions and stuff like yeah. that, and you see Pattinson and Stewart on stage in front of fans where it felt like Ed Sullivan had just introduced the Beatles. Yeah, I will add this too with the whole Catherine Hardwick situation. I mean, look, Robert Pattinson almost got fired from the movie because he wasn't like doing what he was supposed to do because he was too serious. Because in all honesty, reading the book, you're like, this dude, he even said, he's like, when I read the book, I went to the author and I was like, this dude is insane. Like he's weird. He wants to basically fall in love with a hamburger, his favorite hamburger. Like how is this dude normal? And like to his point, yeah, dude, Rob Pattinson wasn't wrong, but he, she knew, Catherine Hardwick knew that was not what this movie was. Like he's supposed to be the, you know, the heroine type character. He's supposed to be uh, Vlad in the last half of Bram Stoker's Dracula, like the charismatic sort of Casanova that's dangerous. Um, so playing him like a serial killer who wants to have sex with a hamburger is not really what he, they were going for. Um, but I'm curious to you, Steph, about this one too, because I don't know, man. It's it's just weird looking back on it now, like because Stephanie Myers, to what Mark said, didn't have as much control as... Uh, E.L. James did with Fifty Shades of Grey because folks don't know Fifty Shades of Grey was based on a fan fiction, a BDSM, very, very sexualized fan fiction story with Edward and Bella. They changed all the names of the characters for Fifty Shades of Grey. But E.L. James, because both of those books were done on independent, the authors had a lot of say in how they were put on. But E.L. James was even smarter than Myers. She had 100% control over every aspect of it. And I just wonder, and it shows. And so like Steph, I just wonder if Stephanie Myers, having read the book, would have had 100% control, what do you think would have been different? I think, well, mainly with Edward. I think that Bella was pretty much how I interpreted Bella from the books. And then Edward was more charismatic. Like he was... Instead of making him the, he was like the hot guy. And he wasn't interested in anyone, and because he was dark and tortured and brooding and thought he was a monster, it was more that he just was like in this pretentious family that kind of just thought they were a little bit better than people, but were charismatic and like fun. So I think that would have been the biggest difference. And then everything else, though, in the first novel, I feel like it hit the most important points. 
that were um, and then presented in the movie. But I think mainly with Edward, I know that half of the the girls I was friends with in high school hated how Edward was portrayed. They didn't like Robert Pattinson being casted. Like my twin sister didn't at first. Now she loves it in hindsight. And then there was the me who was like, oh, I'm so into this. So I think it was mostly with Edward. Does your twin sister love it in hindsight because she just came around on her own? Or was it the constant reminders (laughs) from her slightly, very slightly older sister that, no, you got to look at it through my lens. So did you just get her over to your cult or did she come to this opinion on her own? I don't remember. And it, (laughs) however she got there, she got there and she called me this morning. She goes, this is the greatest thing you've done as a host is about (laughs) to defend the honor of Twilight. (laughs) I'm, I'm glad that she's giving you that, but also like shade. Like the, all no, these other years, I, this is the best. I don't dis Jacqueline. Here's the thing: I don't necessarily disagree. Yes, I've talked about humanitarian issues <laughs> and social equality, but then there's Twilight, and then it's just like this huge convergence of everything that got me to this point. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like Steph, you you champion a lot of great humanitarian causes, but when you champion a humanitarian cause, you're leaving out vampires and you're leaving yeah. out werewolves. What about all of them? What are they going to do? What about, exactly. And we need, and we definitely need to make sure that that is part of the record as well. Okay, that's <laughs> going to be it on behind the scenes, which I think we got go. We got, we got your twin. We got you defending Twilight. That was some great, that was not just movie behind the scenes. That was us behind the scenes. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's be us. real. That was oh, us. This is us. I know. Um, Stephanie, really quick. Is this, is this movie your own personal brand of heroin? Oh my God. Yes. Absolutely. A hundred Lucy, this is the type of quote insertion that I'm talking about. Jesus. That is that is probably those quotes that she's saying all the time. Because let's be honest, that definitely gets the point across. Um yep. that's it for us on behind the scenes, guys. Uh let's go ahead because we still get to open up our mailbags. So let's go ahead and transition over to the mailbag. Okay, members of the catch from member of the ketchup crew, Ludovic Ruban. That is like a great name right there. And I hope that I said it right. Ludovic sounds a little vampire. Yeah, be. seriously. True. All right. Bonjour, friends. I'm hoping that he's French. Uh, if you could review two movies, that would be totally awesome. I love them big time and I don't understand how people dislike them. Of course, at the end, Ad Astra, there might be a little bit too much superhero stuff, unfortunately. But besides that, it's one of the best sci-fi movies ever. I expect no less from Dune, by the way. Thanks to the Grand Dennis. So this is about Ad Astra, which that was Brad Pitt. That was Plan B. He plays an astronaut out in space. And I think that one's fresh on the tomato meter. But audiences were not about that one, if I recall correctly. No, I saw Ad Astra and I watched like the first 20 minutes of it. That's how I normally watch anything is I watch 20 minutes and I'm like, "Ah, I think I'll go outside. And so I, I, I didn't hate it. I just didn't finish it yet. And Ludovic also apparently a huge fan of Madagascar. So two yeah, very different say. types of movies, but we can do both. I'm, I'm up for either one because I, it's been a minute since I've seen Madagascar and yeah. Astra. I would love an excuse to uh, finish that. I was going to say, I X the shit out of that movie. Yeah, it's okay. fresh though, right? It's fresh, right? It's fresh. So it's 80... It's 83% certified fresh with a rotten audience score of yeah. 40%. Wow. The audience is wrong. 
I remember this one. I actually have a story for this one because I covered that one pretty heavily on that circuit. And I remember having like like conversations with award strategists. They're like, how is this like not a thing? And I was like, it's the wrong space movie for right now. Like it's two 2001. And this is just not that. Like, that's not the kind of space movies people want right now. You, you have Guardians of the that's Galaxy. That's my favorite quote, Jacqueline. It's the wrong space movie It is right, right now. now. Like, that was just not this type of <laughs> in space In this economy. Mo- Seriously, though. In this economy <laughs> is exactly right. Um, uh, Ludovic, I, I, I'm down for this. And I didn't get any of your details on Madagascar, but hey, that's Chris Rock as, yep. a, as an animal voice. So I'm, I'm down for it. I'm down for it. Steph, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. Real quick, let us know what you're working on, where folks can find you, and if you don't mind, a recommendation, ma'am, for folks to maybe watch since you are always in the know on the best things on our screens. Well, first of all, thank you, Mark, Jacqueline, Lucy. Y'all are like the best team ever. I, it's Your show is amazing, and it's even more fun being a part of it. So thank you for letting me talk about vampires for an hour. Uh, I'm mainly with the World Girls. We give anything a whirl. We do weird things. Dorina calls it sexy Mr. Rogers community. All love there on Wednesday, 6 p.m. Um, and then set, um, Sunday, 7 p.m. And then all on the SEN network. Sometimes with Mark, we call matches together. Always a good time. And then I'll say for recommendations, uh, Dave on FX, but you can watch it on Hulu, is such an incredible show. I love it so much. Uh, Some people aren't as happy with season two, but I swear it gets better. So stay there. And then Ted Lasso. And then I just got the opportunity to watch Suicide Squad. If y'all feel comfortable going to theaters, I would definitely check that movie out. Apparently, I need to give that one a shot. I've been getting like some very like pointed DMs about my I need to give Suicide Squad a chance. It very much feels like a girlfriend telling me I need to give an ex-boyfriend a chance. But they're very (laughs) they're very forceful. So I may take you up on that one. And I may see it in the theater, which goes against what I said when we did the original Suicide Squad. But right. Yeah, the, the ketchup are, crew has made their 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 feelings known. Let me just it, tell it's you, it's still pretty fresh in our minds. The the last Suicide Squad because we did our show on it last week, and so Jack and I are going to have to have a, a a reckoning when it comes to how are we going to go watch this movie? Are we going to go to theaters and see it? Are we going to go just at our homes and yeah. enjoy it? But probably a couple brewskis should be had either way because I hear either it way. is a lot of fun and it's very funny. So, hey, look, yes. and the Alamo Draft House can make it all happen no matter what. Um, <laughs> thanks again, Steph. Really, really appreciate you for joining us today. It was so good to break down Twilight because, again, I do think that, you know, f- points were made. We set the record straight and we have given a little bit of justice to teen girls uh, from the early 2000s. It's awesome. Uh, Again, thank you all for listening. If you want to be like Ludovic and let us know of a movie that we should review on the show, please email us at rtiswrong at Rotten Tomatoes. That is rtiswrong at Rotten Tomatoes. Also, wherever you are listening to this, follow, subscribe, rate, and review. Tell your friends, kids. We're doing so much better with the podcast, and it's definitely, I know, because you guys are telling folks that they should be listening and watching wherever they can, so I appreciate that. And Mark, next week we're switching it up, correct? A little bit? A little bit. We're still talking about undead, timeless monsters, but we're going to the world of television for The Walking Dead meaning there's a lot of research to do because I was staying with this show for a long time. I was a big fan of it. 
haven't been privy at all to the last few seasons. So I have a lot of work ahead of me, but I do it because I care about our beloved audience, which I'm thrilled to say now involves Steph's slightly younger sister. So yeah, did it. Also, by the way, I wish I could say it's only two seasons. I had to start this very early because the last season I watched was when they killed Glenn. Oh, come on. Get back yeah. on board. There's a lot of good stuff I was very upset about that episode. Very upset about that episode. Yeah, that was, that was it for me. But hey, I heard he got better. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. We've got to go back. And you guys will be there when we do it. Join us here next week. Again, thank you, Brian Perez, Producey Lucy, my partner in crime, Mr. Mark Ellis. You can find out where he will be performing and what he will be doing at his website, Mark Ellis Live, or follow him on Twitter at Mark Ellis Live. You can find me anywhere at that Jacqueline, and uh, also thanks again to our amazing guest from the World Girls, Steph Sabra, and we will see you guys next time on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. 